You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast on a Tuesday. We are uh, picking up the crumbs from uh, from the week that was against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Delicious crumbs as the Texans even their record at 2-2 two and, two and we begin to look ahead to week five in Atlanta. Uh, the Texans will be in Atlanta this Sunday. Noon kickoff, Central Time, to face the Atlanta Falcons. We'll do a mailbag today as well. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast, Sports Radio 610 in the morning, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. You can find it on the Odyssey app. And joined, as always, by my good friend, the Hall of Famer, our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, uh, the mood around the city is is a great one, Ray. Between, between the Texans looking as good as they have in the last three or four years and the Astros sitting and waiting for a week happily to see who their opponent is going to be, this is a good time to be a Houston sports fan right now. It is, and the fact the Rangers choked, losing three out of four at Seattle and failing to win on Sunday. They could have clinched the first round by. Now they got to play two or three in a row at Tampa, and uh, their GM is whining about the media in Houston and talking about how much they hate the Astros. You'd think he'd be worried more about the Rays. As for the Texans, Danico Ryans, I just noted – on uh, betonline.com, how D'Amico, the the Texans have gone from 500 to one to 50 to one with two victories in a row to go to the Super Bowl. D'Amico's catapulted, I believe, to number three. Uh, quarterback C.J. Stroud's number one in offensive rookie of the year. And uh, it's amazing what two weeks will do for a team that has won as thoroughly as the Texans have. All right, so, John, of all the things where their odds improved, because their odds – forget Super Bowl in the AFC, just to, to be realistic here. Um, but the division, I think the division, they're now like four, like four and a half to one or something like that. They were eight to one last week, and now everybody's two and two. And I get it that they didn't come into the season as the favorite by any means to win the division. But, man, it, it's everything's even right now in the AFC South. So if you had to pick them to win, if you had to pick one thing – to win of these three things, what would it be? The division, C.J. Stroud, Offensive Rookie of the Year, 
D'Amico Ryan's coach of the year. A Stroud offensive rookie of the year, if he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And what be interesting about that, Sean, is defensive coordinators get more and more tape on him, and they adjust accordingly. And to his advantage, they ran the ball very well, and that's with the makeshift offensive line. They've got two starters coming back. So if they can keep Stroud healthy as well as he's playing and go with the running game, I think uh, even though I keep hearing about Puka Nakua, uh, the Rams, of course, he's going to get a lot of attention because he plays in L.A., that those are the that was, he's a rookie receiver from BYU, that those are right now at this point the favorites to win it. But I would think the easiest one would be Stroud because he's out in front as we speak. Well, here's the thing, John. There's kind of a correlation between those three things now that I think about it. If they win the division, they're going to sweep all three of those awards. Because if they win the division, it means that C.J. Stroud had a pretty damn good season. If they win the division, D'Amico Ryans should have the Coach of the Year award named after him. So, <laughs> I'm forward. shocked right now that they've been able to do what they've done the last two weeks. Congratulations to you. I'm picking uh, them to beat the Steelers. I picked the Steelers by three. But the way the Titans have been up and down, terrible one week, good the next. Everybody was ready to run Mike Verbal out of town, and they beat the hell out of Cincinnati. Uh, Anthony Richardson came back, was sporadic, fell behind, came back, played well, went to overtime, and lost. And in Jacksonville, one week after getting pulverized by the Texans, obliterated the Falcons in London. So right now, you'd have to, I would still say Jacksonville's favored, but why not Houston? Yeah. And I, uh, based on the way they played the last two games, why not the Texans? John, I don't know how closely you follow the various power rankings that come out on Tuesday morning of the league. If you if if you buy into those at all, I, I think they're fun to look at. You know, um, there's five that I look at each Tuesday morning. They all come out around eight in the morning. ESPN, uh, SI.com, CBSSports.com, NFL.com, and the Athletic. The one the the lowest they were in any of those five power rankings this morning was twentieth. They were twentieth on ESPN. They were twentieth on SI.com. The, the last two years, I can't name a time where they've been higher than 28th, like literally a single week where they've been higher than 28th. The lowest they are this week is 20th. The highest they are is on CBSSports.com. That's Pete Prisco who does those. And they are 12th on the CBSSports.com power rankings, 12th, 12th best team in the NFL. That's exciting. Here's what's even more exciting. And I understand these are purely subjective power rankings, but I think there's something to this. It's really just another way to frame something that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, which is their schedule is super beneficial to a Cinderella year right now. They're 12th, John. Of the 11 teams in front of them in the CBSSports.com power rankings, they play one the rest of the year. One. And it's Tampa Bay, who's 10th at home. So the top nine teams in the power rankings right now, they either have played already, because one of them's Baltimore, the other eight, they don't play. And I and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm sure it's some permutation of Buffalo, Kansas City, Miami, um, obviously Baltimore in there. Seattle's probably up there. Philadelphia, Dallas, Detroit, like they, and, and I'm, San Francisco. There's nine right there. I bet those are the nine that are ahead of Tampa Bay right now. They they don't play any powerhouses the rest of the year, John. Like you can, you can make a very easy case that the Texans can win. They won't. 
but they can win the rest of these. In each of these games, you can make a case for them winning any of these games the rest of the way. As someone who did power rankings for more than 40 years, I'm so glad I don't do them anymore. I hated doing those things because they didn't mean jack. And uh, the one that I look first every week, Pro Football Talk. Mike Florio has not been a Texans fan. He's been really hard on him. He has them rated higher than any of those that you just mentioned. He has them, he got them number 11. Okay. And Pete Briscoe would have them highest because he loves the Jaguars. Mm -hmm. That's who he covered. And the way they just pummeled the Jaguars, I can see Pete giving them more respect on CBS.com than he did uh, the other teams. But it also shows what a great job D'Amico Ryans and yeah. his coaches are doing. Yeah, that's a big thing. Jacksonville 13th on Prisco's uh, power rankings, by the way. Um, so, look, the, the bottom line is, John, times are good, and C.J. Stroud is a big reason for that. I think the other thing, too, the Texans opened – as a somewhere around a three-point underdog against Atlanta um, on Sunday evening. Uh, last I looked this morning, it was down to one point. Texas might be favored by the time that game kicks off. John, Atlanta, Mike uh, Mike Smith, God, Arthur Smith, wrong Atlanta coach. Um, Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith had to confirm yesterday in the media that Desmond Ritter is still the starting quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons. If you're the Texans right now, the way C.J. Stroud's playing and the way the defense is playing, I don't care that the game's on the road. If you're going against a team where the coach has to confirm who the starting quarterback is this coming weekend, you got to win that game, man. You got to go to Atlanta and take care of business. They started 2 and 0 primarily because of the way they ran the ball. Now they have lost the last two. Ritter was terrible against the Jaguars, and people are already talking about what quarterback can they get in the draft next year. They're saying they need to play Taylor Heineke, because at least he's won some NFL games. Bijan Robinson is playing great. He's only had one mediocre game. That was because they didn't get him the ball. So one thing we know when they play the Texans, they're going to run it. And they're going to run it a lot, and they're going to run it with different backs, and they're going to throw the ball a lot to the backs, primarily Robinson, who lined up wide receiver, lined up in the slot, and lined up in the backfield against the Jaguars, played well, caught the ball well, but they still got pounded. Yeah, it's not a good football team. It's a really bad offensive team. I feel bad for, for Bijan. Um, all right, John, so that's kind of where we are heading into the week. I guess to, we'll keep an eye on the injury report tomorrow. D'Amico was asked about Titus Howard and Juice Scruggs, the offensive linemen who are eligible to come off the injured reserve list this week. Um, there's no injury report that comes out until tomorrow, so there's nothing the Texans have to do right now. Uh, with either of those guys, but I, it seems like at the very least with Titus, it looks like, John, the smoke appears to be blowing towards Titus coming back this week. Yeah, Titus and Tunsil are back. Scrubs, I'm assuming he's going to be practicing. I asked D'Amico if Jared Patterson would be in the running for guard when Scruggs comes back, and he doesn't like to reveal any in, more information than we can squeeze out of him, but he said, you know, he'd been playing guard ever since he got here. Yeah. And that tells me Patterson is in the running to play left guard. He's played very well at center. Scruggs was the center. So I'm guessing the offensive line could be Tonso, Patterson, uh, Scruggs, Shaq Mason, and then Titus Howard. Okay. And based on what we saw on Sunday, Tonso, Howard, and Scruggs, they got some big shoes to fill. <laughs> well, you hate to be – 
You hate that's the biggest thing, John. When you have to follow Austin Deculus and you're Laramie Tunsil, that's a lot of pressure, man. Deculus played pretty well <laughs> rotating with did, Christian. All those options. Feel bad lineups. for you making me do that, John. Making me crack that joke. When I went back and watched it, uh, there were a lot of times where a few times where they took on their guy head up. And of course they they featured trying to stop TJ Watt, and they did. One hit on a quarterback, two tackles. Magnificent job. And sometimes you had George Fant taking him head up, kept a back end to chip or kept the tight end over there. And Alex Highsmith, he's going up against Deculus. He's going up against Christian. Overall, the line. And they were down to their fourth left guard when Kendrick Green went down and Jimmy Morrissey had to play. Mm-hmm. So that's third left tackle, fourth left guard, third center, third right tackle, and then, of course, Shaq Mason. But uh, those guys, they can't wait to get the starters back. But the fact is, the offensive line has played an instrumental role in these last two blowout victories. Yeah, that we we just robbed from the mailbag there, John. Uh, you didn't know. It's okay. Um, yeah, but Liam in Midtown actually asked that question. We're going to get to general news and notes in a second. But, yeah, he says, with everyone healthy, who are the five best offensive linemen for the Texans? Is there a way to get that combo on the field? It sounds like you think that's the combo, John. Those are the five best, the two rookies and the three highly paid vets right now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Maybe they don't feel that way. Maybe they'd rather have a veteran at left guard like Josh Jones, who didn't look very good when he played there. He had five penalties in the first three games, and then he missed the last one. I don't even know when he's coming back and he'll be healthy, but it wouldn't bother me if they played Patterson at left guard. Now, he's had some help at center, but sometimes he had to block the nose tackle straight up, and uh, I think that um, he can he can help out Scruggs when they need it, but he's gotten a lot of valuable experience. So he's going to get better. You know, Josh Jones in his third season, he's played right tackle. That is his primary position. He got a cup of coffee there here, but he's had to play left guard and left tackle. And I'd like to see what he could do if he played his normal position all the time. But uh, I'm guessing, you know, they may want to go with experience. But right now, this rookie class has been tremendous. It's been tremendous. And and that's why that's why I don't want to go down this rabbit hole. But the more we list all these randos at left guard that seem to be okay the more angry I get that they use the 15th overall pick on uh, – sorry, my headphones fell out here. On Kenyon Green. On Kenyon that- Green. Yeah, on Kenyon. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Kenyon Green with the 15th overall pick. Yeah. And and another thing, I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but it bears repeating. 
In 2006, Charlie Cashley was in his last draft. He had already announced he was leaving to try to get a job in a newly created job in the NFL front office that ultimately went to agent Ray Robinson. So uh, he worked with Gary Kubiak, first-time coach, and that draft is the best draft in franchise history, bar none. And afterwards, Cashley talked about what a great job Kubiak did scouting, how much interest he took in every round. And it was the best job he'd ever had working with a head coach. And I was like, whoa, 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 what about Joe Gibbs? He won three Super Bowls. He said, well, Joe was great, but he was interested in the first couple of picks. Mm. And Gary was interested top to bottom. Okay, now, they could have just had their greatest draft in history, second greatest, time will tell, at worst. And what's the difference? D'Amico Ryans is here working with Nick Casario. And Nick has final say on personnel. But when a head coach tells a, a general manager, I'd want this guy, I believe he fits in the system, and the general manager is going to take him. And then if he general manager is not going to tell him, okay, if you don't like this guy, I'm taking him anyway, so he doesn't ever have to play him if he doesn't want to. So it looks like D'Amico's influence with Nick Casario and the way Casario was flexible, as good general managers are, has given this team a draft class that could be the best in team history. Well, if they if they find their quarterback and there's four other guys who are starters, then this is <clears throat> then as far ahead as that 2006 class has been that ironically included D'Amico Ryan's as a player. It's that much further ahead of even that class if CJ Stroud is if it's CJ Stroud and like five other guys that are contributors. Holy smokes, John! That's yeah, you're you're absolutely right. All right, um, so that's where we are. We'll preview the Atlanta game hardcore on Thursday this week. Um, but, John, before we get to the mailbag, mailbag at gmail.com if you want to email a question in. General news and notes this week, General. Um, this is the first time this victory over Pittsburgh that the Texans have won back-to-back games by at least 20 points since 2015 when Bill O'Brien was in his second season. Wow. And that gives you an idea about the thoroughness of these victories over Jacksonville and uh, uh, who did just beat Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. And if Will Anderson Jr. came so close to scoring a touchdown, it would have given them 37 points two weeks in a row for an offense missing four starters in the offensive line. It's just an amazing performance. So I went back because I've covered a lot of games between uh, the Steelers and the Oilers slash Texans. The Oilers, of course, were in the Steelers division, the AFC Central. And you have to go all the way back to 1991 to find the last time a team from Houston beat the Steelers by more than 24 points. And that team was run by Warren Moon and had Bruce Matthews and Mike Munchak. And I think they beat them by 26. But I thought that was amazing. So that's 32 years. And uh, and now they haven't played them that much, but it's still something. And then the other thing I found was interesting, and I did not ask D'Amico this because he probably wouldn't have remembered. The last time that they defeated Pittsburgh was 2011. D'Amico was in his sixth season and his last season uh, with the Texans of his 10-year career. J.J. Watt was the first-round pick. 
Now, Stardaz mm-hmm. to me go, what do you remember about that game? But he's had so many cents as a player and a coach, he probably couldn't remember other than the fact that they did win. And uh, so that shows how long it's been. Hopefully, if the Texans play the Steelers again anytime soon, they won't have to wait another 12, 12 years to win. John, I went and looked up. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking up the two teams they beat in 2015. You said the last time the Texans beat teams – back-to-back by 20 points or more was in 2015. It was at the end of the season in 2015. The Texans were 6-7. and seven. Then they beat Indianapolis in Indy for the first time ever, 16-10, to 10, the Jalen Strong. Brandon Whedon to Jalen Strong, John, uh, to, to win that game. And then it was the last two games of the year, the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars Back to back, thirty-four to six and thirty to six. And here's what I would say about that, John. Compared to this, the Jags and the Titans were two of the worst teams in football that year. That D'Amico accomplished it against the division favorite Jacksonville, and against the Pittsburgh—not a great Steeler team, but it's still the Steelers. Um, that that is uh, that makes these two more impressive to me than the two in 2015. I know in 2015 they were probably starting. At that point in the season, probably starting a concussed Brian Hoyer at quarterback at the end of the year. But the fact that they beat these two opponents like they did is is very impressive. And he got pulled in the playoff game to Kansas City, which was 30 to nothing at NRG Stadium. And everybody talks about this, the bad Pittsburgh team. This bad Pittsburgh team just won back-to-back games and came in with a 2-1 record. So people trying to denigrate what the Texans have accomplished so far. It's just a bunch of hogwash. We're not talking about a playoff team. We're not talking about a team like that one in 15 was coming off a 9-7 record in O'Brien's first season. They had a great offensive line that stayed healthy and missed only one game combined. And uh, so this team, what it's achieving is more impressive than that team because O'Brien inherited a lot of talent. Are you ready for the mailbag, John? Absolutely. Let's do it. Let's do the mailbag. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com if you want to get a question in next week. But we've got our six or seven questions for this week. Let's start with our guy Wale, who I believe is in Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, says, hey, y'all, hope you're doing well. He's got two questions. What did you think opened up the run game, uh, though the offensive line situation was the same? Okay, let me, let me phrase this for you, Wally. Even though the offensive line was the same or worse than it was maybe – then at the, at, to start the season, what do you think opened up the run game for them on Sunday against the Steelers? First thing they did, Bobby Sloak did a great job of play calling. He had two end rounds with Tank Dell just to let them know we can do that. He had pitches right and pitches left to uh, Damian Pierce, giving him a chance to run outside, and he did a really good job. And then the screen passes – that one was called back because of a penalty. The other one was 20-something yards. They hadn't been able to run a screen pass in forever. They were throw the ball to Rex Bleeping Burkhead last year or Daria Goombawale or Royce Freeman, and they just couldn't pull it off, and they did a great job. So everything he did was designed to, to keep the Steelers honest to help the running game, which, of course, designed to help the passing game. And then when uh, Devin Singletary got the ball on, I think, three plays in a row, that was all to set up the option pass for a touchdown to Dalton Schultz. So I think they did a great job blocking. 
under the circumstances. And Piercy got the yards the hard way, still still averaged three-something to carry, but they were effective from the start, and so much of it had to do with Bobby Sloick's play calling. Yeah, I um, yeah, the, the two Tank Dell end-arounds, John, I thought were that, – that's when I – one of several things Bobby Sloak did that day where you feel like, okay, there's definitely a new sheriff in town compared to what we've seen the last few years, you know, just <clears throat> obviously all the use of motion, but man, using tank Dell in a game where, you know, it's going to be tough sledding running up the middle to do things like that to kind of loosen up the defense a little bit. Bobby Sloak is, I, I was real critical of him a couple of weeks ago. He's been operating on a different level the last couple of weeks in a good way. Wale's other question is something that, that we've touched on and it's something, honestly, I, I probably had, six other emails asking us this about what do we think the chances are the Texans can compete for and win the AFC South. I think we laid that one out pretty good. You and I both think it's a possibility just given how, how uh, oddly balanced this division seems to be four games in right now. It's, it, it is oddly balanced. A lot of it's going to have to do with the quarterback staying healthy. Trevor Lawrence goes down. Jacksonville's not winning. Stroud goes down. Same thing. Ryan Tannehill, I'm not so sure because his play is so closely tied in to Derrick Henry's success. Henry looked really good against Cincinnati, so Tannehill had a good game. And then Anthony Richardson as a rookie, he gets banged up. You know, what are the odds that he's not going to miss some more games? So right now, as we talked before about why not the Texans, Texans couldn't have any worse injuries anywhere other than quarterback than they've had in the offensive line and the backups, and the backups, backups in the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And the coaches have done a tremendous job. This team is not going to get beat because of coaching. And when is the last time we've been able to say that? Since Gary Kubiak was here with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel and Matt LaFleur and and uh, Mike Sherman and Troy Calhoun, that was a great coaching staff, but we haven't said it since. Well, and even even Kubiak's first couple of years, John, his first three or four years, he did not have good defensive coordinators. I mean, he didn't get that right until they brought Wade Phillips in. So it's you know it's it's, it's not universal with kids. Then go back to day one of Kubiak. This is day one of D'Amico Ryan's. Like D'Amico has done a great job filling out a staff, tremendous job. And he's smart. We knew he was going to make the calls all along. I've been saying that since the combine. The reason was he did so well at it at San Francisco. Why would he stop now? And right now, he's doing a great job. Matt Burke, first-year coordinator, has a lot of input. And Matt's not shy about telling D'Amico what he thinks. And D'Amico wants to know what he thinks, even if he disagrees with him. And then a lot of people wanted D'Amico to hire a veteran play caller, Mm -hmm. somebody who's done it before. And he was uh, joined at the hip with Slowick, and he knew Slowick was going to do well because he'd been around him his entire career with the 49ers and boy, he Bobby is rewarding D'Amico's faith in him. No doubt. All right, let's get to the next one, John. This is from Billy more impressive Deshaun's first four games, first four starts as a rookie or CJ's first four starts as a rookie. Boy, Deshaun's were good too. He, the, the last one he had was at Seattle, which was just unbelievable. No, no, no. no. First four. No, just no, the first I four. I'm just yeah. talking about his last one. I'm working backward. Gotcha. The last one at Seattle was fantastic. Legion of Boom said it's the best any quarterback had played against him. Before that, I believe he had a great game. It was either Cleveland or Tennessee where he threw a bunch of touchdown passes. Tennessee was his third start, and they scored 57 points. 
Yeah, they haven't done that here. So if I had to pick one, I'd say Watson. He also had a half of for a warm-up before his first start, so he mm-hmm. had an advantage over C.J. Stroud. So I would say Watson, but it's neck and neck. Yeah, I, I, I'd go Stroud, John, only because I think Stroud is being asked to execute a more complicated offense than Deshaun was at that point. I mean, just, Bill O'Brien was running a lot of Clemson concepts when they when he threw Deshaun in there to be the starter, doing a lot more RPOs. To which point Deshaun actually, you know, he had a few hundred yards rushing at that, you know, in the like I think he had 160 yards rushing in his first four starts. So that's a point in Deshaun's favor. I just think CJ, CJ's walking into a way more dysfunctional situation than Deshaun was. And that's I that's the truth. As far I don't mean like it's not anymore because you got Demico in there and you got a good staff, but I'm talking about the fan base and the roster and everything else. Like Deshaun was walking onto a team that had won the division two years in a row, at least, you know? And it coming off a playoff victory. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I give it to CJ, but but it's I I'll say this: like you get a similar feel with CJ that you got about Deshaun in those first four games, which is, wow, we, holy crap, my team found the guy. It never happens, you know? Um, so that, that's been really cool. Joe Q is a frequent emailer to the, uh, to the podcast. He, he's talk, he's, he's asking about a stat where every year there's a team that lost 10 games and then they win 10 games the next year. He's, he says, he's not sure of the stat. He's asking if we know it. I don't know the exact stat other than to say, that's the NFL. There are teams that are bad one year and good the next year. He's wondering, are the, are the Texans a candidate for that to become a double-digit win team? And have we revised our expectations on our season win total? John, you you said 6-11. and 11, I said 7-10 and 10 before the season. Uh, absolutely, based on four games. Now, it could all go south. Sure. Uh, they could, you know, he could get hurt. But I'll say this. Atlanta and Chicago were the two teams' favorite. And the stat I've seen is not winning 10 games. It's going from worst to first. Okay. So at least one team's done it every year for like forever. So there were all the national publications were picking two, and a bunch of them picked the Bears. I didn't understand why either. And I'm guessing they're looking pretty stupid right now. And Atlanta doesn't look good in these last two games. So with Texans, yes, I would revive what I'd say. I, they look like they could win eight games, maybe nine games. Looks like they could win the division because there's not a great team in the division. And right now, maybe there's not a really good one, but there's a good one. The Texans are good. Jaguars are good. Titans good one week down the next. Colts have been a huge surprise. What was supposed to be the worst division in football has been surprisingly good and competitive. And now they get to play the other division that was supposed to be the worst in football the NFC South for the next four games. Next four games, absolutely. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, Dave is in Buffalo. Uh, we appreciate you, Dave. Dave listens to the podcast. Said another good win, guys, for the Texans. They're definitely getting a lot of love nationally after beating the Steelers. And Bryce Young continues to look like he's not ready for the NFL! Exclamation point. Two questions for the podcast: What's our prediction on Bills Jaguars in London this week? And could Mac Jones get traded? By the trade deadline. All right, so let's take the Bill, Bills. Jags is in London. Jags are already over in London, John, because they just played Atlanta there. So they're going two in a row uh, in London. Bills just got done beating up on the Dolphins 48-20 to 20, and now are traveling overseas. I haven't looked to see what the spread is on that game. I'm going to assume the Bills are a favorite in that game. Bills are playing the best football of anybody since week one. Um, but what are your thoughts on Bills, 
Jags over there in London this week. Bills could have a natural letdown after that big game against Miami, but mm-hmm. that trip's shorter to London than it is for them to fly to Seattle or San Diego <laughs> when they've had to go to San Diego. And so I don't think it's a big deal. The Jaguars like being over there. It's their home away from home. They do it every year. People, Some people were saying, well, oh, man, they got to be over there two weeks. They, It's more fun to be in London than Jacksonville. And I like Jacksonville, but London, man. So I think they're going to be comfortable. I think they're going to make a close game out of it. But Buffalo's going to win because right now the Bills are on a roll. Bills are five-and-a-half-point favorites in that one uh, in, in London. That sounds about right to me. Um, as far as Mac Jones getting traded by the trade deadline, John, I've, I've thought of a lot of guys who could get traded by the trade deadline. Mac Jones is not one of the ones that have crossed my mind, I'll be honest with you. And who would want him? I mean, let's think about it. He has not played well. Didn't play well last year. They thought Bill O'Brien was the elixir for everything that's going wrong with him, and he's been worse. And he got benched by Bill Belichick. And at some point soon, they better start thinking about tanking a few games, seeing if they can be in a position to get one of these top quarterbacks coming out because Mac Jones has regressed, and you can't blame it on the former head coaches he had last year coaching him. And uh, I – Maybe he'll turn it around, but, man, he made some mistakes rookies don't make against the Cowboys. Oof, brutal, brutal. I asked our friend Ted Johnson, John, like how I texted old Teddy yesterday. For those who are new to the podcast, Ted Johnson used to work with John and I at Sports Radio 610, former inside linebacker for the Patriots during the early Super Bowl years in the early 2000s. And, and Ted, uh, Ted works up in Boston now. He does radio and TV up in Boston. I said, how things going for our friend B.O.B. up there? He said he's actually not even close to Belichick and Mac Jones as far as the the targets for criticism right there. He said B.O.B.'s done a good job just kind of putting his head down and going to work. It's Mac Jones and Bill Belichick whose heads everybody wants on a spit right now. Kirk Herbstreit, I heard him say, call Bill O'Brien the best offensive mind in football. Okay. That's – I mean, that – Tell me you don't watch the NFL without saying you don't watch the NFL, Kirk, is what I would say. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bill's fine. Like he's, he's, I think Bill's an average coach. I think he's an average offensive coordinator and an average head coach. And I think, I think if, if he had just left well enough alone of the roster here, he might still be the Texans head coach. Who knows? I'd be as long as Deshaun Watson was the quarterback, you know, they had a chance to beat just about any team before it all went sideways. Yep. All right. Two more, John Derwin in Cyprus says, has any Texans defense not allowed a team in their territory an entire half and only twice in the red zone for the entire game? I don't know, and I don't have the wherewithal to look it up, but that, John, that was as dominant a defensive performance by the Texans as we've seen. I mean, I can't even remember. Like that, that was that was a that was a pasting of the Steelers on Sunday. One of the most impressive things they did was uh the Steelers that had, I think, at least a 70-yard touchdown pass in each of the previous two games. And neither George Pickens nor Calvin Austin, their two receivers. Neither one of them even averaged nine yards a catch. Yeah, They did a great job 
of keeping them in front of them, not letting them get yards after the catch, unlike Nico Collins, who has got to lead the league in that he breaks so many tackles. And they, except for the third quarter, they smothered the running game. And how about that play call? Fourth and one, you got a chance to cut into the lead. You're in the shotgun. You have picket throw instead of giving it to 225-pound Najee Harris, who had been pounding the Texans. Silly. I mean, that that that, that gets you fired. That's you're talking about Matt Canada, the OC for the Steelers. That's that's the stuff that gets you fired, no doubt. All right, last one, John Gus in the Woodlands. I heard Payne and Pendergast talking about who the Astros' most essential player is for the postseason this morning. Who does John think the most essential Astros? Who's the who's the one player the Astros can't do without on their own team this postseason, John? Since they have so many good hitters and so many good position players, I'm not going to take one of them. As far as the, the pitching staff, which struggled, the starters, except on the last five of the last six games when they outscored them, I think, 24 to 6, I would say Justin Verlander, who was great in his previous start, was good in the last start as opposed to Fromber Valdez, who was not good in either one. Christian Javier looked good against a makeshift lineup in the last game of the year at Arizona, but I would say Verlander because of his experience and because he's pitching really well right now. You and I are the same same mind, John. This is actually a topic from MLB.com that I stole for the show for Payne and Pendergast, and Brian McTaggart was the one who wrote the blurb for the Astros because he covers that beat, as the Rangers know. Um, but uh, McTaggart said Jose Altuve, and and look, Jose Altuve is a Hall of Famer, all that stuff. But I'm with you. Like this year, the hitting's not a problem. The hitting's come around. They've got one of the three or four best lineups of any of the playoff teams. This is a scary, in a bad way for Astro fans, a scary pitching situation for this team because of I can't trust Javier right now. Even though he was good the last time out. And he's had flashes here and there. He still cannot, in my mind, he can't be trusted. And and the, there's just such a big drop-off between Justin Verlander, Framber Valdez when he's right, and even that has been kind of shaky. And then after that, John, it's piggyback a palooza after those two, you know? So if you lose one of those two guys, you're asking Dusty Baker to make a whole lot of decisions that he hasn't had to make, quite honestly, in a couple of years because his pitching staff has been so good. And the other thing I'd say about Altuve, he went one for 28 to start the postseason last year, and it seemed to work out okay for the Astros. They they, they were able to weather that storm. And it worked out okay this year when he missed two and a half months with a yeah. broken wrist or thumb. Yeah. I got another great stat that I saw today, and this one stuns me. I'm always complaining about Astro pitchers can't pitch five innings. Javier can't get to five innings. They're overworked the bullpen. Yeah. Guess – what bullpen pitched the second fewest innings in Major League Baseball this season? I was shocked when I read it. The Kansas City Royal, no, the, the Houston Astros. I'm assuming is what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Can you believe that? I couldn't believe it. I think. Um, no, the answer for I never would have guessed that. So yeah, I guess it's hard to believe. I think a couple things, John. One, well, it's really one thing. We've just been spoiled. Like the, the what's happening with the Astros this year is way more the norm out there in the baseball wilderness than what we've experienced the last few years when pretty much every starter can go get you six innings in their sleep. You know what I mean? 
Like that's the, the normal. It's not normal. What the Astros have been doing pitching wise in 21 and 22 is not normal. This is more normal what they went through this year. Now, the, the, the extreme injuries to some of the pitchers, maybe not normal, but they had so many starting pitchers to begin with coming into the season that I, I, I was surprised. I saw the same thing you did. I was surprised to see that because it hasn't felt that way, but I think it hasn't felt that way because if you take a look around baseball, um, the Astros are much closer to being, you know, one of the one of the bourgeois or the proletariat than the aristocracy that they've been the last couple of seasons. Fortunately, their bullpen is the best in baseball again. Yes, Brian Abreu yep. has been fantastic, and I had to give props to Maldi for that one great game he had defensively, and he didn't quite get back to the Mendoza line, but he was in the one nineties. Now he can't throw anybody out. Staff's terrible at holding runners. His framing's bad. He leads the league in pass balls. But I think you can't beat playoff experience. I want the Astros to play the Rangers in the American League Championship Series. It's not going to happen. But just because I want to see them beat them again, I want the Rangers to win. All my friends want the Rangers to lose to the Rays, and they will. But I want them to win so the Astros get a, another shot at them and see who the general manager Chris Young can complain about down here next. Okay, so you don't want the Rangers to win because they're a Texas team, like you with the Spurs a few months ago. No, I hate that. That, I, I, that was the Spurs. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with the Cowboys. I don't okay. like the I don't like the Rangers though. Okay, um, two things real quick, and then we're going to get out of here. Um, one is uh, a question for you. Well, I'll, I'll give you the question in a second because there's a poll question I put up. You probably saw it. It's Astro related, but the as far as the experience goes, John, I I. Drop this stat on Payne and Pendergast this morning. And this is why I really like the Astros' chances in the postseason, If even with all the shakiness in the pitching staff. <clears throat> in the last six postseasons, so since the Astros' first World Series championship, that postseason in 2017, the Astros have played 86 postseason games since 2017. The other five teams in the American League playoffs this year have played 42 postseason games combined in the last six years. Wow. So the Astros, the Astros have played more than twice as many postseason games since 2017 as all five of these other organizations have put together. And 32 of those 42 games that those five teams have played have been the, from the Tampa Bay Rays. So the other four teams combined, Baltimore, Toronto, Texas, and who am I missing? Uh, 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 Minnesota. 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 They played a total of 10 postseason games since 2017. Twins haven't won a playoff game in 18 years. One I'd like to know now, and you can look this up, how many players on the Astros, what are the guys that are still here, how many playoff games have they played compared to the playoff games of players on the other teams? Yeah. And it would be dominated again because of Altuve, Bregman, and uh, Verlander, yeah. as well as some others like Presley that have been around a while. And yeah. I saw a thing the other day talking about young teams tend to do well, like Baltimore, but I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, me too. Last thing, John, um, who do you want in the next round, Minnesota or Toronto? You want the fighting Correas or the fighting George Springers? Team Correa or Team Springer, the Twins have played better since the All-Star break. Correa has not played well at all. I've been watching ESPN talking about, man, when the playoffs start, he starts playing great. Well, he did with the Astros. Mm -hmm. And so I'd rather see him play the Twins because the Blue Jays, they could come alive 
hitting. They've got really good starting pitching. Yeah, I want to see. Firepower. I want to see the Twins and then the Rangers, even though it'll be the Orioles. I asked my Twitter. Orioles. Yeah, probably. I, I asked my Twitter audience who they want based solely on the former Astro involved. Eighty percent said they want to play Correa. <laughs> He's just not as likable as George Springer. I think people want to beat Carlos Correa. Um, well, I, you know, Correa win. He took his one fifteen. He was gone. I think Correa's bounced all over with teams. It's yeah. all about money. People are fortunate that Pena. He hasn't done a, a an, an accurate impersonation of him, but he's come close based on his stats. And maybe he'll actually hit a home run for the first time since July fifth. But they won World Series with him, and Correa didn't. And you know, Correa and Springer would have loved to have been here last season. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Correa especially because he actually got a legit offer. I don't know how legit any offer was for Springer, you know, the guy, an outfielder who was 31 years old at the time. But, yeah, and it would have been fun having both of them. I like both those guys. All right, John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I have an Astros column on there, and I have a C.J. Stroud column on there. And tomorrow I will have a column on D'Amico Ryan, seeing is believing the players are buying into what the coaches are selling in practice and meetings because they see the results on the field. D'Amico knew that as a player, knows he's at a coach. And then I'm going to have another Astros column as soon as we know which team they're going to play. A lot of stuff there, John. Good stuff. SportsRadio610.com is where you can find all of John's work. If you're watching on video, you see our Twitter handles right there. He is at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I am at Sean T. Pendergast. Our producer is James Jackson, who does a great job getting the podcast to all of you. Um, so uh, we appreciate James. We appreciate all of you clicking the subscribe button, listening on the Odyssey app, uh, downloading, subscribing, wherever you get your podcast. We really, really appreciate you. Tell a friend this is an exciting time to be following the Houston Texans, and we've got you covered three times a week here on the Utopia Football Podcast. So for James and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. We will see all of you for a preview of the Atlanta Falcons and a little for real or for gazy on Thursday this week. Have a great week, everybody.